Bibles, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1, and I want to call your attention once again to verses 6 through 10, in which the Apostle Paul is here showing his outrage against false teachers that pervert the gospel of Christ. This is very serious business. In fact, it's serious enough that it affects eternity. Now, most people have the idea that it really doesn't matter what church you go to, that if you just pick a church and you go there and you're faithful to it and you show a little bit of dedication to whatever it is that they do, that you will be fine and uh, you'll satisfy your religious urges. And if you feel like you're doing some good and you feel about, good about yourself, then, then that's really all that you need. Now, I hate to start a message where at the very beginning that I go into a diatribe against some kind of false teacher or some kind of false practice. Uh, I do that quite a bit, but I usually soften you up just a little bit before I get there. But this kind of hits me right at the beginning here, and so I have to talk about it. Uh, So you'll forgive me if I mention this practice that has really turned thousands of people over to false teachers so that these false teachers can sift them as wheat. I'm sure that many of you are, uh, have watched or you're familiar with Billy Graham Crusades. You've watched those on television. You might even attended one. I think Billy Graham has been here in the San Francisco area on numerous occasions. And I know that you've watched those shows or you've seen that on television and you see thousands of people that will stream the aisles and they'll come down and, and make a decision for Christ. Now, Billy Graham would always make an appeal for people to come forward, and then there would be a Christian worker there at the front of the auditorium or the front, at the stage area, and these Christian counselors would, would help people. And these are people that are enlisted from churches all over the area. And when people would come to them or do come to them, they would direct them to a church, any kind of church, The goal is to get them into some kind of spiritual training. So it didn't really matter what kind of church that it was. It doesn't matter if what they learn learn in this church is actually different from what they hear in a salvation message that's given in the crusade. That's not really important. It's just important to get people into a church. And so often these people were turned over to Catholic churches, uh, to charismatic churches, or to other kinds of churches that are confused on the gospel of grace. One of our members told me that she attended a Billy Graham crusade, and she went to the front, and she met a Christian counselor there, and she said this person had no idea at all about salvation, that what she had to do was to explain to her what salvation was. Now, my point is that it does matter where you go to church. And it matters significantly what you hear in church. Even in churches where there is a semblance of the truth and and where a church may be actually able to articulate the way of salvation, many of the churches are so weak and they're so liberal that a Christian could never grow there. There's no spiritual fruit that develops. And and so you have underdeveloped Christians that are in all of these liberal churches that really don't preach the doctrines of the word. But more serious than a church like that is a church or a preacher that leads people astray. See, it's very, very serious for people to hear and to believe a false gospel. Because no matter how you slice and dice this, you must believe the true gospel in order to be saved. It is absolutely imperative that you understand who Christ is 
And you also understand what your own spiritual condition is. And that's why this letter to the Galatians is so explosive because the Apostle Paul absolutely will not stand for a false gospel. And that's because he knows the results of it. And so it doesn't matter what these Galatians, uh, what the Galatians believed and as far as... uh, I mean, it matters what they believe, of course, but I mean, as far as this letter is concerned, Paul never would have written the letter if it didn't matter what they believed. If it doesn't matter what you believe, Paul didn't need to talk to them about Christ or talk to them about salvation. If you can figure out your own way to heaven and you want to go the best way that you can, then Paul could have just said, well, do that. You just do it because one way is as valid as another. But we notice here how important this issue is to Paul. So he says, beginning in verse number 6, he says to these Galatian churches, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we were an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now the most basic important truth from this scripture that lies right on the surface that you can't miss is that there's only one way of salvation. There is the way and then there are other gospels or another gospel that is actually not actually the gospel of Christ. And what Paul does not allow is that there are any other paths to God. There are not multiple paths to God. And if these people have chosen to follow something other than what they previously been taught by him, what the, what the apostles had received from Christ, he says, for, for, for anyone who would teach you and lead you astray, these verses say, effectively, what Paul is saying, let them be damned. Now, In the previous messages, I've dealt with Paul's consternation over this shift of these Galatian churches. He's upset that they're on the move, that they're on the way or in the process of believing something other than what he had previously taught them. And I've spoken to you about the call of the gospel and how that God uses the preached word in order to work on a person's heart to bring them to salvation. I've talked to you about the confusion over the gospel and how that any addition to faith alone as the instrumental cause of justification devalues the work that Christ did on the cross. If we're saved by our works instead of by Christ's merits alone, then Christ's life, Christ's death, What he did on the cross is insufficient for salvation. So we've looked at this problem of false doctrine. A false doctrine will not save. It's a gospel of a different kind. And so if you put that side side by side with what Paul taught, you'll see that it doesn't fit. It might resemble truth to some degree, but something's wrong. Something's out of kilter, we, we used to say. So we talked about the consternation, the calling, and the confusion. And tonight, we're going to consider the fourth area of discussion, continue with where we left off last week, and that is the curse on false teachers. Now, I've been thinking this thing over a little bit, and uh, I kind of listen to myself sometimes when I'm preaching, and I say, you know what you ought to do, Smith? You, you, ought, to, you ought to be just uh, a little bit more positive about things. I mean, don't be so negative all the time. 
But when I read things like what we've got here, I don't know how to get positive about this. This is a very negative subject, a very important subject, a scary subject for people that don't believe the truth. But Paul says here in verses 8 and 9, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again. So he's not finished with them, repeats this. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. So now we're talking about not the false gospel itself, but we're talking about the ones who teach a false gospel. Can we put preachers and teachers of false gospels on par with those that teach the truth? Well, if you listen to someone who says that it doesn't matter what church that you attend, that one church is just as good as another, even if those churches don't agree with one another, even if they teach different doctrines, then what they're saying is that all Bible preachers and teachers are on equal footing. Everything's the same. And I think Paul would very strongly disagree with that because he says, again, let those that teach another gospel be accursed. Let them be, the word is, anathema. And as I've said, the word literally means there, let them go to hell. Now that is a really strong statement to make. And that wouldn't make Paul the favorite of the ministerial association. And it's not going to make him president of the ecumenical council. He has very strong opinions against anyone who teaches anything other than what the apostles taught and what Jesus Christ taught. And so Jesus, of course, had the same opinion of this. We've read it in the book of Matthew, where he rebuked the scribes and the Pharisees for their false teachings and their hypocrisy. And he told them, he said, the converts that you make, he said, you make them twofold more the child of hell than you are yourselves. Now, in the last message, we noted that Paul gives a very succinct description of false teachers in Acts chapter 11, uh, 13. rather. And, and I'm not going to read that whole passage again, but Paul was addressing a Jewish false prophet named Elymas. And this was a man that was doing exactly what these Judaizers were doing in the Galatian churches. He was trying to turn people away from the truth. And this is what Paul says about him, Acts 13.10. He says, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, would thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And so there you have a description of what a false teacher does. First of all, false prophets or false teachers are deceitful. They're full of all subtlety. This is what we covered last week. Subtlety means deceit. A false prophet dresses up a false doctrine and tries to make it appear as truth. And so he doesn't hang out a shingle that says, come to my church and you'll be fed a pack of lies. Come to my church and listen to me because we hate Christ here. We despise what Jesus said. No, he's not going to say that. He'll dress up the lie. He comes in the guise of Christianity. And there's usually just enough truth to draw people in. They're unsuspecting. It sounds pretty good. So they... He draws them in. He gets a foothold there. And then he begins to change things ever so subtly, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit more, just so it doesn't gather too much attention. But that change can be fatal. An ounce of poison and 10 ounces of water doesn't sound like very much, but it's enough to kill. Now next, we see that false prophets are from the devil. 
Paul says to Elymas, Thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness. And isn't that an apt description of Satan? He is the enemy of all righteousness. Now, as we've studied in the book of Revelation, that when the end times come, there, there will be this one chief leader of the entire world who will be called the Antichrist. I've turned him Satan's golden boy. And Paul describes him in 2 Thessalonians as one who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. Now, ultimately, there you find Satan's objective. He opposes all worship of the true God. God has to be worshipped in holiness and righteousness. And you'll notice that so many times in, in false religions, there's usually some kind of perversion that upsets or turns around, undermines God's commandments. Often you'll find sexual perversion in many of the cults. Sometimes you'll find greed and lust. That's often a component of false teachers. So the Antichrist marches into the territory of God with a false worship, and then he ultimately becomes the one who is worshipped. So that's where it's all leading. And the trip to get there may take a lot of little steps, but you take these little baby steps, it seems, to get up to that altar, and it's almost an imperceptible ascent as you get there. Or maybe I should say an imperceptible descent as you go down to worship these false prophets and false gods. Now, the Apostle John said that there are antichrists in the world right now. And he meant that there are little antichrists. There are people now that oppose God. And they can't do what the final antichrist is going to do. That, that's something that the world has never seen before. But what these little antichrists can do that are in the world right now is to help people take these steps away from God. And one of the methods that John said that a false prophet will use is to make a false picture of Christ. Make Christ something that he's not. And one of the most popular false views of Christ is that Jesus is such a loving and compassionate person that he's never going to talk to you about your sin. He's never going to denounce your lifestyle. His arms are open wide to receive everybody and they can come to him just like they are and they can stay just like they are. And it's Christ's objective to make you feel good about yourself in the way that you are. So when you ask somebody, when you, when you see somebody and you ask them, have you ever believed in Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as the Savior? And they say, well, yes. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. It's an appropriate question to ask them, what Jesus did you believe in? Which one do you know? Now in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul said that there are some that preach another Jesus. They preach a Jesus that we don't preach. So what is another Jesus? Only someone that doesn't match the scriptures. He doesn't fit that description that we have in scripture. So if Jesus, your Jesus, doesn't call you to holy and righteous living, if he doesn't demand that you forsake your sin and take up your cross and follow him, if he doesn't say you have to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your own self then you can't be my disciple. If he doesn't say that to you, then you have the wrong Jesus. Now you see, all of those things are righteous acts. And, and when you put Jesus above all other things, and when you forsake yourself and everything that you hold dear for his cause, that's when you've attained the righteousness of God. But you can't do that unless God has worked in your heart, unless God has put a desire in your heart to do that first. 
So the devil is the enemy of all of that. And he tells you that you can be comfortable in your sin, that you can go on the way that you are. You can even go to church and you can play church and everything will be fine. And so the false prophet spouts that line and he gives you a different Jesus. And he does that because he's following in the footsteps of his father, the devil. Then we have a third description of false teachers. A false prophet... False prophets destroy their followers. Paul says to Elymas, Wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And what happens when you don't follow the right ways of the Lord? Proverbs tells us, Proverbs fourteen twelve, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so what happens when you walk away from God's path? Well, there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and the false prophet is the gatekeeper on that broad way, and he stands there and he opens the gate and he says, Come my way. Come on my path. Come down this path. Join us. Be with us. Because all of us are going to the same place. And he's right about that. They're all going to the same place. They're going down into the pit of hell. Now this, again, is where you find Satan's primary objective... He's trying to destroy people and take them to hell. Now, I think that there are many false teachers and there are churches that are unaware of what they're doing. I think that there are some like that. Now, others aren't. You have these health, wealth, and prosperity preachers that you see on television, and I think that they're as dishonest as the day is long. They know what they're doing. They're getting rich off these poor schmucks that are grasping at straws and and they want to get rich too. And so they sell their books and they, and they ask for their seed faith offerings and they know why they do it. There is not an ounce of truth in what they say. I don't know, how many of you have ever seen this guy, Mike Murdoch? Anybody know who I'm talking about there? I, you know, I, was, I, I tried to do this. I was, gonna, I was thinking about getting a picture and I was going to get it up here tonight so you could look at this fellow. But that's a scary dude, man. I'm telling you, um, you, you put horns on that guy and a cape, and you'd have a perfect character of the devil. And I didn't want to scare anybody tonight, so I didn't bring the picture. But that fella, he is deceitful as the day is long. This is one of those guys that knows that he's lying. And these are people that laugh all the way to the bank. Now, you know me. I, I don't mind naming names. I, I want to tell you who to stay away from. And I'll tell you, these, some of these guys on TV, they're, they're crooks. And you ought not to, I mean, don't send them money. I don't think any of you people are, would ever do that. But Pat Robertson, Kenneth Copeland, Creflo Dollar, T.D. Jakes. Creflo Dollar, that's an appropriate name, isn't it? It kind of matches the whole thing. But these guys are all in the same category. They're, they're fleecing the flock. And they're too smart not to know that they're, not, that they're doing that. They know exactly what they're doing. But then on the other hand, you have preachers in Mayberry... And they're a little bit more honest about it. And they may think that they're doing the right thing. But still, they may be preaching false gospel. So they've bought into the lie. And perhaps they are sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And they may not be purposely trying to steer people into hell. But they're doing it all the same. So what is Satan's primary objective? It's to take people to hell. What's the fastest way to do that? Well, it's to make sure that people never hear and they never believe the true gospel. And so his objective is to pervert the gospel. As Paul says here, Will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And if you look at the history of Satan, and you look at the present of Satan, and you read the Bible and see what the future of Satan is, you see he never ceases to pervert the right way of the Lord. 
And so what do you think his preachers are doing? The very same thing. Whether knowingly or unknowingly, they never cease to pervert the right way of the Lord. And so what they do is they twist the gospel around. They change it a little bit here and a little bit there. They put something in that's more attractive. And God says he knows what people are like. He says people have itching ears. And so what they do is they try to find a preacher who tell them what they want to hear. And so they just keep going from place to place until they find the preacher who tells them exactly what they want to hear. And what is it people want to hear? Well, they don't want to hear that they're sinners. And they don't want to hear that they're helpless in their condition. And nobody likes to be told they're on the way to hell and justly deserving of it. And so they find a preacher who'll never talk about those kinds of subjects. And so what do they do? Well, it's, it's much better to center the message in you. And so they'll say to you, well, God wants you to be wealthy. God has your welfare in mind. God wants his children to have the world's favor. God wants you to stand out. You're one of the king's kids. And so they tell you, stick out your chest and suck it all up into your fat head because God wants you to have it all. And Joel Osteen, you know, he, he, takes, he takes the whole thing to another level. He said that he was so favored by God that God even gives him the best parking spot at the mall. Never mind the poor old lady with the walker who needs that place, uh, that spot. It's all about you, baby. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. It's all about you. And you may not see that too clearly in Galatians until you're apprised of what's going on. Because any time that you add a little works to your justification, a little works to your faith for justification, any time that you start adding that, then it's no longer about God, it's about you. It's about you. It's not what God does for his glory. It's what you can do for your glory. And you see, it takes a little bit of time to build up here from this circumcision gospel that Paul was dealing with in Galatians chapter 1. It takes a little bit of time to, to work that all the way up to a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. But it's finally going to get to a place like that. Because when you start with you, you're always going to end up with you. And that's what Satan does. He destroys the gospel. And in the process, everybody that believes the lie and drinks the Kool-Aid ends up in hell right along beside him. So he never ceases to pervert the ways of righteousness. He's always working on that next person to punch his ticket to hell. So you see to Satan, it really doesn't matter if the preacher is fully on board. It doesn't matter if the preacher really knows what he's doing. He might think that he's doing the right thing. And as I said, I think that there may be some of these folks that are sincere and they're dedicated to the work that they're doing. I mean, somewhere in the world, you might even be able to find a Catholic priest that actually believes he's doing the right thing. But that doesn't matter to Satan because the end result is still the same. He destroys the followers. Now let me run over this next part again because this, this is really what Paul is saying in these verses. Fourthly, false prophets are doomed. That's really the message of verses 8 and 9. He says, let him be accursed. And that's not wishful thinking on the part of Paul. He's just stating the facts of what's going to happen to these people. A couple of weeks ago, I think it was, that I read a little bit from the book of Jude. And I want to give you a little bit more of what Jude talks about. So let's go over to the book of Jude. And we're going to look at some things here. And in the context of this passage, Jude is speaking of evil angels that God chained in hell at the beginning when they fell. And uh, by the way, those are the same angels that are going to be loose during the time of tribulation. They'll be turned loose upon the earth and they'll torture the people of the earth. 
And he said these angels are reserved for judgment. And then he goes on to speak of how God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said those people will suffer the vengeance of eternal fire. And then he refers back to false prophets that he spoke of in the fourth verse that he says crept into the church and wreaked havoc on the grace of God. Now, let's see what happens to them. Let's, let's first read verse number four. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then after that come the statements about the fallen angels and then the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then continuing at verse number 8, he says, Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these... Now, going back to these false prophets, that's what verse 10 refers to. But these speak evil of things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feast of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging ways of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the the blackness of darkness, forever. Now do you get the description there? False prophets bring nothing of value to the table. They're, they're clouds without water, Jude says. They're trees that have rotten fruit. Their gospel is a false gospel. Their Jesus is a different Jesus. There is no hope in their message and there's no hope for those that believe what they say. They have a reservation in hell and it tells us here this is where they're going to stay forever. Now, let me ask you again. Does it matter where you go to church? Does it matter who you listen to? Is one church as good as another? Well, not according to Paul, not according to Peter, not according to John, not according to Jude, and certainly not according to Jesus. These aren't games that we're playing here, folks. This is very, very serious business that we're dealing with. We're talking about men's souls. Now, let me put it to you in another way. If what you hear in church is appealing to your flesh, then you've got a problem. Because God never satisfies sensual desires. If you like it naturally, then Satan is behind it. I've seen people come into our church and they don't stay five minutes. Ushers can confirm this for me. You see them sometimes, they come in, they don't stay for five minutes. They get up because it's not what they expect. It's not what they're looking for. You know, I love that quote from uh, this person in Santa Rosa that attended the hip-hop church up there. And she says, I like this church because it's not too religious. Well, you just walked into the lion's den. You're in Satan's lair because that's what he does. He walks about seeking whom he may devour. But that's what a lot of people do. They walk right into the lion's den. I, some, somehow they think that they're Siegfried and Roy. They stick their head in the lion's mouth and he's not going to bite. But he does. 
Now let me just briefly mention to you then verse number 10 in Galatians 1. And I'm going to have more to say about this with the next section of verses. But I want to connect this to the thoughts that we've just been talking about. Number 5 here on your listening sheet is the course of the apostle. And in verse number 10 it says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of of Christ. Now you recognize the problem that I have when I'm preaching to you and I try to preach a message like this? It's not very pleasing to a lot of people, but let's look at this. This verse takes us back to that series of messages that we had prior to verse number 6. And this is where Paul defended his apostleship. So he's just delivered this scathing rebuke to these false teachers. And it's not exactly the Dale Carnegie way of winning friends and influencing people. If Paul wanted to win their favor, you know what he would do? If he wanted to be accounted as an apostle in their eyes, it would have been far, far better for him just to soothe their feelings, satisfy them a little bit with what they want to hear, make some accommodation for the error. That's what a false prophet would do, wouldn't he? That's what a false prophet does. I mean, he's he's trying to be a men-pleaser. What he really wants is to get a crowd, get a crowd any way that he can, and he waters down the gospel, and he, or he gives no gospel at all. I mean, how else can you get 43,000 people packed into arena? Here's a fellow that does that that's in it for himself. Paul's not in it for himself. He's in this for God. He's been in this to be approved as a servant of God, and so he doesn't care a hoot about their approval of his apostleship. He wants God's, he wants God's approval. And so the way to get God's approval is to speak exactly what God says to say. Say what God says if you want God's approval. And so if these people need rebuke, then rebuke is what they get. And if they need to be exposed as false teachers and liars and perverters of the gospel, then expose them. So to Paul, it's either you like it or you lump it. He's not going to change the truth. And so they're either going to get on board with him, and he hopes that he does, they do, or he hopes they heed the warnings. But whether they end up liking him or not is immaterial to whether he's going to tell the truth to them. And that's how I feel about it. I know there are things that I say that are not politically correct. Maybe I say some things that some other preachers in town wouldn't say because of the ramifications. You know, people have heard of our church. They've heard of our church. We have a reputation. Some of it's bad, and it's bad maybe because of some misguided teachings in the past. And, I, I, you know, I meet people down in the neighborhood sometimes. We're out visiting down there and around the church, and, and they think they look at you kind of a jaundiced eye because some crazy things go on up there. And uh, maybe some of it is just false accusations. The reputation's bad because people just think the wrong things because they think the wrong things. And then on the other hand, some of it's bad simply because what we have to say here is hard on the flesh. People just don't like it. It's not the natural thing for people to like what God says about them and what he expects from them. But the question is, who are we trying to please? Are we trying to please men? Are we trying to please God? You know, it's kind of strange the way that works sometimes. We had a lady that came to church here only sporadically. She was a Roman Catholic, and sometimes I say things about Catholicism. Imagine that, that I would do that. You know, but I could go for weeks and never mention the Catholic church in one of my sermons, 
And you know how I prepare the sermons. I mean, I'm, I'm weeks in advance most of the time, and so I'm not planning for any particular person to be at church. I wouldn't know anyway who's going to be at church weeks in advance. But this lady would always show up when one of my main points was about something that in Roman Catholicism that was totally wrong. And so she finally said, well, I'm just not coming back because all you ever do is talk about the Catholic Church. Well, that's not true. It's just, well, I kind of look at it. The Lord worked that out that way. But what am I supposed to do? I see that lady coming into the church and I've got a sermon prepared and I say, well, she's not going to like what I've got to say, so I'm not going to say it. Or do I look at it in another way that God brought here to her here to hear exactly what she needed to hear? She's not going to hear it anyplace else. And so God knows who's going to be here, and if I don't, and I think he plans this out. At least I hope that he's the one that's doing it. So we can please people or we can please God. And so what I want to do, I'll start with pleasing God, and then I'll leave it up to him to make the truth pleasing to people. See, if we're going to serve Christ, this is what we have to do. We have to do this. What course did Paul take? Well, he, he wanted to stay on God's side. He always took the right course. Take the one that's pleasing to God. So we're going to get into this more as we get into the next section. And you're going to see here that the focus shifts back to the defense of apostleship. And these, remember, are the two main themes that we find in the book of Galatians. It's the defense of Paul's apostleship and the defense of the gospel of grace. Now, I hope I didn't send anybody's ears too much tonight and didn't hurt anybody's feelings too much tonight. But as I, I've told you, um, I'm not shy about naming the names. And I, when I see this stuff, I think something needs to be said about it. I think the people of God need to know what to stay away from, what, what, what's going wrong, and what needs to be corrected. And that's what we want to do around here. We're, we're only interested in giving people what comes right from here. So... Hopefully, you're not hearing my opinions. Um, I, I don't want to give you just my opinions of things. We want to have Scripture to back up what we say. And we look here in Galatians chapter 1, and we see without any doubt, you can't miss this, that Paul was hot on this topic. And the other writers in the New Testament, this takes up a large portion of Scripture dealing with people who do not teach the truth. You know what that tells me? that it's a problem, that it's a prevalent problem. And the apostles and Jesus knew it would be a prevalent problem. And so they keep talking about it over and over and over again. Teach the truth, teach the truth, teach the truth, so people will know how to identify those who don't teach truth. It's the most important types of things that you can hear because your soul hangs in the balance in what you believe. Folks, it makes a difference what church you go to. Now, as I said, Sunday, we, or maybe it was Sunday, these things kind of run together for me, but um, I don't think that we're the only church that teaches truth. I don't think we're the only one. Praise the Lord. It's got churches all over the country. Hopefully, there are more in this area where you can go and you can hear a gospel sermon. You can hear the truth of the word being preached. And I thank the Lord for everybody that preaches truth. I may not agree perfectly with everybody but I certainly do appreciate those who have a gospel of salvation and they teach people the truth on these major issues. Maybe we different, different, or different on some minor things. Uh, that, that, you know, I can live with that a little bit to some degree. We're not the only ones that teach truth. But I know that there are a whole lot out there that don't. I know there are a whole lot of people that it's just scary 
to think about some of the things that they teach and what people believe and how they're, if they follow those ways, there's no way that they're going to end up in heaven. The devil has people deceived and people die and go to hell when they don't have the true gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've got to stick with it. Stay with it. Stay the course and tell people the truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you that we're able to look into this and find out what your word has to say and say these kind of messages don't fit everybody as far as what they like to hear, maybe not the type of sermon that somebody wants to hear. But as we go through your word, we we find these passages and we can't do anything but to try to put the full force behind them that the apostles themselves saw in these things. These were, these were serious issues that they had to deal with, and they dealt with them in the right way. They warned people about those that were teaching false doctrines. So, Lord, we pray for our people. Help us to be strong in the faith. Help us to stand for you. And at the same time that we do this, we don't want anyone to mistake that, that we do want to see people saved, and we make the rebukes in love because the most important thing is to turn that person around from a false gospel so that they do believe the truth. They must believe the truth in order to be saved. And so we're concerned about souls, and that's why we warn them about these things. Bless us, Lord, as we leave this place tonight. We thank you that you brought everyone here to hear the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.